0: Good morning this is attorney vincent davis and this is the show get your kids back now it's september 3rd 2016. this show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of cps and dcfs social workers a secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of issues. Um, You get a lot of emails during the week and What I I want to talk about first is um, the the very first hearing at a juvenile dependency proceeding. It is called the arraignment detention hearing. And sometimes it's just referred to as the detention hearing. This occurs um, or is supposed to occur within 48 to 72 hours of the child being removed from uh, the care of the parents or the guardian. Um, there is no remedy uh, in, the, in the court itself if the hearing occurs outside of that time period. Now, there may be a remedy in another court, for example, a civil court, if you brought a civil rights case against a social worker for having a hearing uh, outside that time period. At the the detention hearing, there are several rights that you have. And one of the rights that you have, which um, you may not know this, but you are entitled to have what's called a no-time waiver trial. And it's a trial on the merits of the petition, which is the allegation that has been filed against you. And you're supposed to actually have that... um, hearing within 15 court days i'm not sure that any uh, court juvenile dependency court in um, california is set up to have the hearing in that 15 court days Uh, so it's basically a right to a speedy trial now there may be strategic reasons why you do or do not want to have that hearing within 15 court days Um, and that's something that you should talk to your lawyer or talk to your court-appointed attorney uh, to discuss whether you have that right. Um, But it's something that at least you should know, and at least you should discuss with the attorney. The next thing that you're entitled to that a lot of people don't know is you're entitled to cross-examine the social worker who wrote the detention report. In other words, to The person who made the recommendation to detain your child uh, and who hopefully went to court to get a warrant, um, you have the right to put that person on the stand, and uh, you and your attorney have the right to cross-examine that person uh, right at the beginning of the case. Um, That is the type of hearing that is rarely done. Now, there are reasons why you may want to do it. There are reasons, again, why you may not want to do it but you do have that right, and you should know that you have that right right at the very beginning of the case. The next thing I I want people to know is is that, unfortunately, the law states that whatever the social worker writes in that detention report for the first time, uh, that first hearing, the judge um, must accept it as being true. Now, this is the only time that the judge has to accept what the social worker is saying as true. After the hearing, after that hearing, the the social worker must prove everything that they are alleging against you. But at the detention hearing, uh, the judge has to accept it as true. And that's why I say you have the right to cross-examine them because you can bring in uh, the social worker to show that what she has said or he has said in the detention report is not true. Um, sometimes that happens, and sometimes uh, some, most judges will allow you to even bring in your own evidence to show that uh, something is true or false. So I wanted to let you know that you do have those rights right at the detention hearing. The last thing I want everyone to know about the detention hearing is that usually takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes to do the detention hearing and that's a a very short hearing especially for the first time you're in court especially if your children have been removed and a lot of that hearing will be taken up by the court making certain inquiries as to the paternity of the of the child in other words um, is the person that is appearing, the the father, have they been declared a presumed father by another court? Um, That type of thing, the court will also ask about Indian ancestry, American Indian ancestry, because if the child or family is part or has a part of a tribe or has American Indian ancestry, um, there may be special laws um, under what is called ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is a federal law uh, that may apply to the case. And um, uh, used to be in Los Angeles, it was, there was a ICWA court. I don't think they still have that. But if a child was a American Indian or of American Indian descent, and the, and the ICWA laws applied. They would send that case to a certain judge um, who did all American Indian cases. I don't know that they still do that. So there will be a lot of preliminary um, inquiry into uh, paternity, ICWA, uh, about where your the client, uh, the parent is living, the true names of the the mother and father if they're not present in court. Sometimes you get a case where um, the social worker has detained uh, children from, for example, a mother and a father, but the mother and father are, or the father is only the parent of the, you know, the last one or two children. There may be other children that the mother had uh, uh, had given birth to that are, or uh, parented or fathered by another another man who's, you know, not there or no longer in the picture. Typical scenario is mom had children with, Uh, Husband one and uh, or in relationship one uh, got married, got divorced or separated, later met up with the new husband, got married, had children. So they took the children, all of the children away from the mom and the new father. And uh, the first, the the father of the first child is not present. And um, the judge will be making inquiry as to all of the fathers or or possible fathers on the case so that they can be given notice. So you have the right to have the trial within 15 days. You may or may not want to have the trial in 15 days. That's something strategically you should talk to um, your attorney about. The next thing that you should know is that in most counties in California, um, after the detention hearing, They set it for what's called, in most places, a jurisdictional hearing. Some courts call it a receipt of report, but I'll go with what San Bernardino calls it. They call it a juris, a jurisdictional hearing. Um, In between the arraignment and detention hearing and the next hearing, the jurisdictional hearing, um, a dependency investigator is assigned to the case, and uh, they come out and they do a report and they submit that report to the court. Now, I'm gonna say something that a lot of lawyers disagree with, but I usually, not in all cases, but I usually tell my clients, do not meet with the dependency investigator unless I am there or one of my attorneys is there. Um, Because in my opinion, um, the dependency investigator is just trying to get information uh, for her jurisdictional report that will be used against you in the long run so you want to make sure in my opinion that your attorney is there now if you have a court-appointed attorney that may may, may not be possible and before you go to that um, uh, interview uh, you should speak to your attorney so you are careful about what is said and not said in my opinion and a lot of people disagree with me um, you're not required for to uh, speak to the dependency investigator and um, there may be uh, reasons why you don't want to uh, speak to the dependency investigator especially if a criminal case is pending or a criminal case could be pending because if it is and you go speak to that dependency investigator your statements could and most likely will end up in the criminal court being used against you so another reason why I tell clients don't go and have an interview with the dependency investigator unless I'm there. At the jurisdictional uh, hearing or the receipt of report hearing, which most courts call it in Los Angeles County, you get this jurisdictional dispositional report and it makes uh, it shows the investigation that the social worker has done. And um, it contains a lot of hearsay a lot of multiple hearsay, and that is the type of report that can be used against you. Now, before I talk about the actual trial, um, because if you you, you get the jurisdiction report and you decide that you're not in agreement with what the social worker has said, has investigated, and you wanna challenge it, which is your constitutional right, you have the right to have what's called a full-blown trial. At that trial, witnesses can be called, documents can be presented in your defense, and you you and your attorney have the right to subpoena witnesses um, and bring them to court. For example, in the report, there may be statements by a police officer uh, that could be used against you or there could be statements by a police officer that weren't weren't included in the report, and you want to have the judge hear what the police officer has to say. In a lot of cases, uh, clients tell me, um, well, why didn't they talk to the police? The police did an investigation, the police found that none of these allegations regarding abuse were substantiated, and therefore um, I want that police officer to come to court and to testify. Or, for example, the report may quote a nurse at the hospital, at the emergency room, who allegedly said something. And, um, you know, when you were there as the parent, you could say to yourself, well, that's not what the the, the nurse said or the doctor said. I want that person to be subpoenaed in to testify at the ju- uh, in front of the judge. I once did a case um, where the social worker who had taken away the child initially quoted a therapist, a child's therapist. And um, the social worker quoted the therapist as saying, the mother was emotionally abusing the child. Well, when we had the trial, I subpoenaed in that therapist and the therapist got on the stand and said, I never said that to the social worker. And number, as a matter of fact, I never even talked to the social worker. So, you know, you have situations like that, that arise. And by the way, if um, a social worker does prepare a report that contains inaccuracies or things that aren't true, he or she may be liable um, in, a civil, in a separate civil rights case um, to you for monetary damages. The law prevents social workers from, uh, as you might imagine, making false reports to um, the juvenile court judge. There are, I think, four or five current social workers in Los Angeles County who are facing uh, criminal charges, um, actual criminal charges, for writing false reports to the juvenile judge in one case. A lot of people uh, here in, in Los Angeles or there in Los Angeles County are waiting to hear what happens uh, with respect to that case. Now, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go over a checklist of things that you should do. And I call them must do's uh, for preparing for and actually doing any trial. But before I do that, I'm going to try to take our first call. It's from area code 619 ending in 1-4. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Did you have a question oh. to tell or excuse me, a story to tell or a question to ask? Well,
1: uh, Mr. Davis, I have a, Story to tell and it kind of leads to a question to ask. I currently have a case going on here in San Diego, and I've called you a couple of times and was in the process of trying to retain you funds of prevented me from doing so. But, uh, my child was, uh, well, first off my, my ex and I were not together when my, um, she gave birth to my son at the hospital down here in San Diego. At the time of giving birth to him, she um, she and he both tested dirty for um, methamphetamine and uh, marijuana. The uh, social worker um, allowed her to leave the hospital with him and encouraged, even though she was under the influence, and in that they encouraged breastfeeding. I read in the report and and allowed her to leave. Um, As I said, we weren't together, in fact, um, I had went and wanted to be in the delivery room and was kept in the waiting room for at least 12 hours. I never did get to see him um, that day or, well, this was about three days before I actually did see him. Um, She ended up uh, getting a safety plan or something that was made up at the hospital and the safety plan. I've never seen it either, um, but it included a couple other people. And from what I read after my son was finally removed from her was that she didn't follow the safety plan. Uh, and therefore, when she tested dirty again, they removed, went and removed him from, from her. Um, I was considered, a, well, the social worker I had spoke to, the social worker that had removed him, I spoke to her when I was in the lobby at the hospital, and um, so she knew who I was and had given my number. The day that he was removed from his mother, they called me, and um, she said that she would be, um, you know, did I have everything I needed if I was to, if he was to be brought to me? And I, and I said yes. And uh, she said that when she found him, them, that uh, if he was in fact removed, that she would be notifying me and bringing him to me. since i wasn't there for the birth and to my knowledge hadn't put on the birth certificate i i pointed that out and she said that she was telling me more than she normally would a uh, alleged type father i guess but um you know that 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 was her intention nonetheless that's what she was going to do they removed him and um i received a phone call from from uh, my ex and she was crying hysterically, telling me that they had taken him. When I called the social worker back because I thought, well, they must be on their way, I was uh, didn't get an answer but about 10 minutes later received a call saying that he was actually in foster care and there was going to be a hearing the next day and um, that I should attend. I went to the hearing at which point I was told that I was an alleged father um, and um, I, I knew better than that. I knew I was a father but the court appointed counsel said, unless I was with her 24 hours a day, 100% of the time, that I couldn't state that I was for sure the father because you know, in reality, how could I know? And she was claiming no. The court ordered that I would have to do a um, DNA test and that that be ordered to take place four days later, myself and my son was supposed to... Um, both have the DNA testing. I was also told by the court, or by my social worker rather, that I needed to go and test for drugs that day. If I didn't go, that it would be considered a dirty. Um, I never had you know, any drug you know, involvement when, when, since the birth of my son or during the pregnancy whatsoever. I went and complied and I tested and I came back negative and went and did my DNA testing four days later Um, this was on May 10th, on May 26th was when the next hearing was May 24th, I believe it was, or the 23rd, um, I met, That was a meeting, was called and I was to go in and meet with a social worker one-on-one, a new social worker now, um, I went and, um, um, met with the new social worker and um, to only find out that even though I had taken my DNA test, they had not followed up and done the DNA test on my son. We went, I believe this was on the 24th, yes it was, because on the 25th, I guess they went into the DNA testing. So when we went before the judge on the 26th, all of this was continued um, because of the fact that the DNA testing was not, uh, the results weren't in. Uh, with my son so this, this was again was continued until I think it was June 9th at very much time the social worker never did um, no one contacted anyone in my family uh, I did I had um, I received a list of all the people they had supposedly contacted that were relatives of mine but this list contained people that had lived as addresses that my family had lived at, but none of these people were my family. Um, the ICL report, which I had filled out right away, also was mysteriously gone, and was said that I didn't um, that I didn't fill it out and hadn't turned it in. So I, again, in the lobby of the courtroom, did it again, gave my information, only to have the same thing happen again on the 9th. From that time to the 9th, from the 26th to the 9th of June, They did uh, contact, I've been married twice before. They contacted my first wife, but did not follow up with anything when she called back, as well as my um, sister who lived back in Illinois. However, when I had asked about this, they told me that they were not considering uh, out-of-state placement because reunification services were offered um, to the mother and, uh, um, you know, me at that point, because I was giving giving visitation, um, supervised visits twice a week, which I was doing. Um, On the 9th, when I appeared at court, I had been calling my, I should say, I'd been calling my court appointed attorney throughout this time frame, trying to get a jump on things, trying to move the ball as best as I could forward. And I kept getting told, um Ty, you're getting ahead of yourself. We're getting ahead of ourselves to the point that we ended up being way behind, I felt. Um, twenty minutes before court on the ninth, the social worker walked up to me. she had no no congratulations and you know, no nothing she seemed very annoyed <laughs> and uh, perturbed by it, and she said, uh, did you hear the news? You're the father. That's all she said. and then, and then whether she was happy or not about it or not, I, I don't think it really should have mattered, but she i could tell that she was she seemed uh, disturbed by it she didn't want to help me i'd been bugging her i'm sure because i didn't leave a lot of messages because i had been prepared that the, the initial report said that the child was removed from the parents and you know and about the narcotics and stuff like that and, and i i felt that uh, since it listed mom's significant other who was present in the delivery room and her other safety team member that when he was removed, he was removed from them. When he was breastfeeding and, and then she tested dirty, if there was any um child abuse charges, it it was it should be it should have been in that direction. They never ended up doing anything more than uh keep headbutting me or going against me throughout the rest of it. I, I went to trials I said as you were talking about earlier, um, to to because I felt that the allegations were all um I thought i had a strong case because none of the allegations that were stated were true when it pertained to me and um we went before the judge and and and, uh the initial social worker um, that's who i thought should be called to the stand because of the fact that it was her reports and her her statement that not only allowed him to leave with his mother but subsequently, she lied to me and told me that she was bringing him to me and, and, and then she didn't because her, I was told that the supervisor had told her that because I was an alleged father that they couldn't do that. Um, but then when we were at the court, she also told me that once the DNA testing came back and shown that I was the father, that he would be brought to me, I would be able to get him. But they didn't follow the court order and they waited 14 days before they did it and they waited again. It was just a week or week and a half ago that we finally four months into it almost had these hearings that you were speaking of which and they had two in a row um, as well as finding a true finding when it came to the the initial report. So it really felt like three in one day. Uh, the judge never established never said once that um, that I was a um, substantial danger to my son. Um, rather than a substantial risk or anything, the, he said that it made me seem like I was a polished um, BSer because he said that I spoke very eloquently and had great command of the English language, but he felt that he didn't know whether or not he believed me. He
0: uh, made a statement after. Yes, sir. Wait, sir, hold on. Hold on a second.
1: Yes. Where did this happen to you? What court? Uh, San Diego, East County.
0: Okay, is that Judge Judge Bobus? Yes, sir. Okay, so when did all when did all this happen? You said you were giving me dates, April and May. Was that this year, two
1: thousand and sixteen? This is going on right now.
0: Okay, so your child was born in two thousand sixteen,
1: correct? Yes, sir. I, April twenty sixth.
0: When is your next court date?
1: Six months from uh, the last one that they've set up for a review. They had spoken about how they... Hey,
0: hold on. Hold the social
1: workers... This. Go ahead.
0: Hold on. hold on. So you're heading towards a six-month review. How did you lose the trial and the disposition hearing? If you were non-offending, you can't lose. You're supposed to have the tri- uh, the child.
1: Yes. Yes. The the judge, all he said was,
0: no, I don't. He's in foster care. Okay. When did the judge say you're going to have a six month hearing? What date was your last court date in, uh, in, uh, juvenile court? (sighs)
1: Um, I don't have the exact date right in front of me, sir, but it was, it was within the last two weeks. It was about, it was, uh, I believe it was, okay.
0: Monday of the week before okay, last. Perfect. Okay, so this is what you need to do. And and I'm going to interrupt your story because there's some important things you need to do right away. Number one, you need to... Did you have a court... You had a court-appointed attorney or a private attorney?
1: It's, 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 it's a court-appointed attorney.
0: Okay, so this is what you need to do. You need to, number one, email your court-appointed attorney so that you can talk to them immediately about filing what's called a writ, W-R-I-T, to the Court of Appeals and or number two, filing a notice of appeal to have the child, to have that decision by the judge uh, reviewed by a higher court. Because what you're telling me, it sounded like you're non-offending and that there were no allegations against you. And therefore, by definition, in my opinion, the child should be placed with you. At the very least, the child should be placed with relatives under a section in California called Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309. And um, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today in today's show, uh, relative placement. Um, But do you know if any allegations were what they call Sustained or found to be true against you, you The know?
1: only thing that no, there what they did say was that he, The judge said that he didn't know there were no domestic allegations of, a, of domestic violence However, he said that he did not feel that he felt that there was something domestic had taken place and therefore whether we were raising the child together or we were just having um, uh, an exchange when it came to visitation, that the child had to be safe and that he didn't feel that um, comfortable with that. And therefore that's why he said that he did the child should be staying um, in the foster care. And uh, I wasn't allowed to speak or say anything afterwards. Um, the judge did ask me if I, had, uh, he said, did, you, did I feel the social worker was against me? And, and I said, yes. And he, he asked me why wow. I gave him the reasons. Afterwards, he, he, um, he, I said, the final one I said was most, most the, the last thing is I, I called because I was told maybe the social, that the social worker needed to be my best friend and I needed to have her on my side. so I called and I asked, what was it exactly that I needed to do to have my son placed with me? And she said, "Well, sir, you're, you're, uh, I believe you're taking us to trial. We're we're going to trial. So um, we, you know, I will talk. We will talk about that at trial." And I said, "So, are you telling me that um, that I can't be reunified? There's no reunification plan when it comes to me and my son?" And she said, "Oh, there's always a reunification plan." And I said, "Well, what's mine?" She gave me five brief sentences basically one saying one to go to some type of a drug um, program to learn about relapse uh two to go to a drug program to learn if, watch and see signs of the mother relapses and uh, three that uh you know that i should go to a parenting class i have three um daughters that i've raised uh, i'm 49 my youngest one's 19 I I I know how to parent. I I don't mind going to a class. I I there's a chance that I might be incarcerated this year. That that that's a, a, um it's for less than a year's time that happened before he was born. Um it happened before we even found out she was pregnant. The uh social, so that I think my ability to keep him safe would be the the only thing that they would have at, at now, but that that's nothing that was mentioned in the initial uh report. I also stated, well, I don't go before this my other judge until November. He's allowed me to stay out and do what needs to be done in order to get my son, um, because this. Okay.
0: Hold on they, a go ahead, sir. Because you've told you've told me a lot, and um, and, and I want to help you. You might have some serious uh, claims against the social worker in the county of San Diego with respect to a civil rights suit. And you may also have um, some things that you need to do to get your child back with you or back with a friendly relative and out of foster care, but you're going to have to, you can't delay. So what I would like you to do is I'd like you to get a pen and a piece of paper, write this telephone number down, and I want you to call me later today off the air so that we can um, discuss your case in detail. Um, you can call this number after nine o'clock. My secretary will be there and uh, she'll make an appointment for you and I to just talk on the phone more in depth about your case. Are you ready to take the phone number down? I am, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's triple eight, triple eight six five eight two. 888 6582 That's 888-888-6582. So please give us a call, make an appointment. Uh, You and I have a lot to talk about.
1: I will. Thank you very much, Mr. Davis.
0: Thank you for your call, sir. We're going to take another call right now from uh, area code 909, ending in 5-2. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Okay. We'll move to another call. Area code 562 ending in 4-8. Good morning. You're Good on morning, with Mr. Davis. Davis.
2: Yes, this Good is morning. Daniel. How, are, How
0: are, you, are you today?
2: I'm fine,
0: thank I'm doing you. Uh, fine. I have How a story.
2: Doing? Oh, I'm doing quite okay. well, thank you. Thank Thanks to your team. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's kind of different talking on the the phone and the radio. I have a story to tell. And so, um, my daughter was taken from me at the hospital because her mom had substance in her system and my daughter had substance in her system. Uh, my daughter's mother wanted me to have my daughter. So she was actually with me for two weeks, and my daughter was, and we went back to the hospital to visit the mom, and that's when a social worker showed up and wanted to talk to me about alleged allegations. Now, I'm a non-offending parent, and I'm just always looking out for the safety of my daughter, the best interest of my daughter, and so we talked, And uh, she came back. She left for a minute. She came back and told me uh, a bunch of things that were not true and uh, said I wouldn't be able to take care of myself, let alone the daughter. I'm not a drug person. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke cigarettes, none of that stuff. I've been a hardworking American all my life. So they took my daughter from me and right away put her up for adoption. She was on the adoption path, put her. For um, caregiver which was two hours away from me and told me I was not going to get my daughter back and I am the father I am on her birth certificates and my rights were violated which I didn't know at the time I did not get a review or hearing within a timely matter they were just had their opinion made up from the very beginning and they were going full bore with their opinion and what they had going on so I just I just kept pushing forward. I had hired a private attorney, and it seemed like he just was dragging the whole thing out because I'd ask him, you know, let's get this thing closed up. What can we do? And he said, well, just calm down. If We don't want to rock the boat. And the whole time, and my DCSF case is closed, by the way. Thank you to you and your team. Uh, however, However, I um, I I just uh, had the other attorney, and unfortunately for him, some things happened uh, where I was able to attain you. He he got out of the case. He wanted to suggest a different attorney due to some illnesses that he had, and so <clears throat> my mother had found you and. She had told me about you, and I was making, I made 178 trips, two hours, one way to to visit with my daughter, and so I kept asking the social worker, look, my mom and my sister, two separate families, they both did their uh, life scan, fingerprints, and all that kind of stuff, and I want my daughter placed with my friendly family members. Oh, well, let's just get through this. Uh, She's going to be coming home soon. They told me she was going to come home April 10th of 2015. So the whole time, they just kept, you know, stringing me along, I'd say. I, I don't know the proper words for some of this. It is so overwhelming, you know. However, uh, when 13 months had gone by, and after 13 months, I downloaded the Child Welfare Act Section 309, which I learned about through your your website, And I went over to the social worker and I talked to him personally and I said, I want my daughter moved to either my mom's or my sister's. And he said, yeah, yeah, let's just get through the case. He's going to be coming home soon. And I said, no, you see this right here? I said, I know what this is about. And I said, you need to acknowledge this. I said, I don't know why you're taking 13 months to move my daughter and making me drive two hours one way for my visits. I said, but, You really, really need to acknowledge this. And when he got that paper, his eyes got real big, and he said, yes, we will go ahead and get your daughter moved right away. And within, you know, like a a little over a week, they had moved her. They moved her on over to to my mom's house. Now, this should have happened 12 months before it happened. Like I said, the case went on for 13 months. It was almost two and a half years. All total, I was going to court. And again, thanks to your team, this is something people really, really need to have the knowledge. You can't rebuild the car if you don't know how to rebuild that motor. And so you're stepping into a whole different ring there with uh, these people. And thanks again to you and your team, I appreciate it. But I've gained a lot of knowledge. It is devastating the things people go through. You cannot take this lightly. And um, anyway, that's basically my story on that. And I did not get a hearing within a timely matter. It took a few months, and when I did get the hearings, they were so against me. The things that the social worker wrote, which was untrue, uh, was a surprise to me. And you know, I just, um, I just, <clears throat> it's been a learning experience, like I said, and I'm glad that it's over with. The social worker that initially took my daughter, initially made all these reports, I have never seen her. I've never talked to her since that happened. That was the only time that I talked to her, and uh, she told me, you know, I said, look, I don't want to speak to you unless I have an attorney right here right now. And she said, oh, well, then we got to have our attorneys here. It gets complicated. All I'm doing is talking to you. If you don't want to cooperate, we're going to have to bring the police department in. You might get arrested. We're going to have to take your daughter at that time. I'm only talking to you. And so I was trying to cooperate. And I learned later by trying to cooperate, they really take that and run with it. So I just uh, am grateful to you and your team once again. And uh, it is a learning experience. I suggest anyone that's in this situation really need to sit down and study the laws. Uh, get some advice from you if they can possibly obtain your team because it's no joke. The main thing is getting your child back. The social workers were all pointing their fingers at me, saying me, 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 towards me, not themselves. And um, I'm, I had constantly remind them, <clears throat> look, this is not about me. This is about the best interest of my child. You're looking out for the best interest of my child, but you're not looking out for the best interest of my child. You're looking out for the best interest for yourself. And I I love my daughter with all my heart, and I'm doing the best that I can to be a good father to her, make sure there's no drama in her life, and she has a safe place. I own my own home. She has her own room. I have her in preschool. She's doing quite well right now. She's happy. When she came back from the foster care, she had nightmares. Every night she was screaming and kicking. They were doing. They, they were abusive to my daughter, although they probably didn't realize it um, because they never had kids before. They were learning everything on the Internet. My daughter had several rashes. Like I said, she had nightmares. They wouldn't buy the, the clothes for my daughter. They bought clothes, but like shoes she'd be in a size three and cramp her feet into a two. When I first got my daughter, she thought she had to curl her toes under to put the shoes on. So there's several things, and, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's very negative. But, you know, my family, we, there's a lot of children in my family, and my mom and my sister know how to raise children. So I don't understand why they placed my daughter with a stranger when it first happened, my mom and my sister went got life stand immediately. Uh, my stepfather's with the sheriff's department out in San Bernardino. Everything's good with my family. But like I said, they placed my daughter with total strangers. So um, anyway, that's, that's my point. And I didn't get my trial or hearing like I was supposed to. And it just seems like they go against someone that's really trying hard, that is non-offending, and not a drug person. Not, not an alcoholic, you know, and um, that's basically my story, Mr. Davis. I want to thank you so much for everything, and my daughter is so happy now. She's just such a joy. She's a little angel. You can see sparkle in her eye, and, you know, she doesn't have the nightmares anymore. It took a long time for the nightmares. She'd, call, she'd wake up in the middle, like, screaming, Daddy, 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 and I'd pick her up and calm her down. So I just make sure there's no bad people around her or, you know, everything's good in her life. And she's healthy. She eats very well. And uh, she does a lot of activity during the day. I just make sure everything's good in her life. It's, it's not about me. Like I told them, it's about my daughter. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. And thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate your call. This last caller uh, mentioned the section 309, which he found on the website. So if you're listening this, uh, this morning, please write this down. Welfare and Institutions Code 309. I want you to Google it, and I want you to read it for yourself. Basically what it says is, not basically, what it says is, Um, If a child is removed from a parent or legal guardian, everything should be done to place the child with a relative. And I define, and and I believe the law defines relative, as someone related by blood, by marriage, or, this is the important part, a close family friend. So for all of you out there who have children or relatives, relative children that are placed in foster care, there are steps that you have to take immediately to get the child placed with a relative, and if you're the relative, to get the child placed with you. And you can do that in a number of different ways if you're the parent or relative you can file what's called a jv you can google this one as well jv 285. so i would google california forms jv 285. this is a form that gives the judge and all the parties notice that you have an interest in doing many different things with the child not only taking care of the child but if you can't take care of the child you can Take the child to school, take the child to uh, sporting events. You could visit with the child on a regular basis. And I'm not sure how a lot of courts are handling this form because it's uh, relatively new in use and it's very rarely used, but it's an official form to notify the court. I specifically asked a judge recently um, how he or she would handle this form if it was filed by a relative and um, after thinking about it he said that um, he would let the department decide meaning the social worker but if the relative had any objection uh, or did not disagree with the social worker um, that there might be a hearing on the matter the other thing that a relative or a parent can do or a guardian can do to get a child placed with um, a relative or close family friend is they can file what is called a de facto, excuse me, uh, yeah, de facto motion. And there's actually juvenile court forms for that. And you can just Google that, uh, juvenile court de facto motion. And um, one of the more powerful tools that you can use is something called a 388 petition. And I believe that form number in the juvenile court is JV 180, so. If you have a child or you're a relative and a child is placed in custody in in the foster home, you should be filing these types of forms immediately. Because what's gonna happen under current California law is that if the child is placed in a foster home and as time goes by, it's less likely in a lot of courts it's less likely that the child's gonna be placed with a relative if the relative comes forward, you know, later in the case. So there was a gentleman that called in today from San Diego, um, he's moving towards his six month date in June, excuse me, in November, I think he said, and the child is in a placed in a foster home. Well, if he doesn't take steps or one of the relatives don't take steps to get that child placed in the relative home, uh, it's gonna be harder and harder. A lot of people think, well, I'm a relative, I can come in at any time in the case and I can get this child. That's not true. It simply is not true. And that child could end up staying with the foster parent and end up getting adopted by the foster parent because of the relationship the child establishes with the foster parent over time. That person is caring for the child and that person is forming psychological, emotional and physical bonds with the child that a juvenile judge may not want to break, Um, you know, a year into the case just because a relative popped up. Um, The social worker is supposed to find all relatives. And I I get the argument in many cases, um, it's not the social worker's job to find the, uh, the relative, it's the parent's job to tell the social worker about the relative. And in my opinion, that's not the law, but be that as it may, that's why in most of my cases where children are placed in foster care, I ask the parent whom I represent to give me a list of 25 relatives and close family friends now a social worker can easily dismiss one or two maybe even three relatives as not being appropriate for the child but 25 and if they do disqualify 25 i think it's very clear what the social worker social workers agenda is so you need those 25 names you need their addresses their telephone numbers their relationship to the child and their email if they have one. And that list should be emailed to the social worker, uh, emailed to the social worker's attorney by your attorney, and those people should also take the additional step of filling out the JV 285. And if they have internet connection wherever they are, they can print uh, and download that file and email it to the appropriate person. Um, I also want to say that these relatives don't have to be in the county where you live and where this case is going on. These relatives can be anywhere in the world. And I mean that literally anywhere in the world. So let's say, for example, you have a case in San Bernardino County. The child's in foster care. You come up with a list of names, 12 of them, 13 of them, live in San Bernardino County and they can be relatives by blood, by marriage, or close family friends. They call those nephrons. So the other 12 or 13 people can live outside the county of San Bernardino. They could live in Los Angeles, they could live in San Francisco, they can live in Shasta County, they can live in San Diego County, or they can live in another state. They could live in New York, Maine, Florida, illinois nevada and here's the kicker or they can live any place in the world there's a little asterisk to that they can live any place in the world where they are part of the hague convention and that's a federal treaty that says you know we will cooperate so that children can be placed with family in in a foreign country for example there are a lot of cases where a child may be of Latin or Mexican descent, where especially here in California, there are relatives, there are tons of relatives in Mexico where the child can be placed. And um the child uh what what has to happen is the court has to order an investigation and there's, you know, social workers in Mexico, it's called DIF, D I F, I forget what it stands for. Social workers in Mexico go out and check out the home and then report back to the judge and the social workers here in California. Oh, this relative in Mexico, the maternal grandmother, would make a perfect uh, placement. Now, one of the callers said something earlier that they didn't want to place a child outside the state because there was family reunification services being offered. That is such a bogus argument, in my opinion, if a child is placed in foster care, the best thing, in my opinion, in most cases, and it's case-by-case basis, the best thing that can happen is for that social worker, excuse me, for that family to place the social, uh, place the child outside the state. Because when you have a child with a friendly family relative, when you have a child with a friendly family relative, there is a greater chance of you reunifying. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but it doesn't matter where the where the place uh, placement should be. I'm gonna tell you a quick story that happened to me in Riverside. Relatives showed up from Oklahoma in Riverside County at the first hearing, and they let it be known that they wanted the child placed with them. The mother was from Oklahoma from a small town and everyone that's in that small town knew the mother uh, or was related to the mother. And uh, they all wanted the child placed with them. Mom had left Oklahoma, had come to California, ended up in uh, in the Palm Springs area uh, with the father of the child. Uh, they got the child, or the yeah, both of them, the child was removed from both of them and placed with a local foster parent. Very nice couple, Um, but what had happened? The foster parent was, you know, becoming attached to the child. Well, the judge ordered what's called an ICPC, which is an interstate compact, to place the child in Oklahoma. Uh, The people in Oklahoma, the husband was a uh, school principal, and the um, the wife was a uh, owner of a mining company. Well. The child was never placed there. And at the end of the case, when the rights were being terminated of the parents and therefore terminated as to the relatives, and also um, the relatives called me and they wanted to try to save the child. We, you know, I filed a 388, I filed a de facto motion. The social worker even got on the stand and admitted that she Um, by accident, and I'm not sure it was by accident, but by accident, um, uh, did not process the ICPC home study for the placement with these relatives in Oklahoma on a timely basis. It took months. And I can tell you that if you have a case or if you're a relative or trying to get a child to a relative, there's an administrator, an ICPC administrator who basically tracks all ICPC requests for all of the states. Well, and not only that, for also foreign placement. And I've been told that you know an ICPC should take no more than 30 to 60 days. As a matter of fact, you can ask the judge in the juvenile court to order an expedited ICPC that will take 30 days or less. So when you get these ICPCs that you're taking months and months and months, that's not how the system is supposed to work. But I digress, getting back to the Riverside County. The judge in that case, under current California law, um, made a ruling that the child could not be removed from the foster parents and placed with the relatives who had actually showed up from Oklahoma at the very first hearing. So these relatives did not get the child. The child was eventually adopted by the um, uh, foster parents. Now, in that particular case, the relative's only solution was to bring a lawsuit against the county of Riverside. And even that lawsuit under current law is not a slam dunk but they showed up at the very first hearing and still didn't get the child. So that's why it's important from the very beginning of the case that if this child can be placed with any family member or any close family friend who is friendly to your position, you gotta tell the social worker, you gotta take steps to get the child um, placed there with relatives. Otherwise, you're gonna lose this child to foster care in my opinion under federal law and state law there are significant financial gains to the counties when these children are adopted by foster parents so i believe that that is sometimes the reason why it's very difficult to get convince a social worker to move a child from a foster home to a relative the gentleman that called earlier from san diego it sounded like he was not offending, um, then there was something about he had a criminal history, but the child's in foster care and the child is not being placed with any of his relatives or any of the mother's relatives. And I know that when people really sit down and think about it, many family friends where a child can be placed. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, oh, I don't have any relatives. And I say, them, well, how is that possible? how were you born? You had a mother, you had a father, you know, uh, they had relatives. Well, Mr. Davis, I haven't talked to them in a long time. Well, well let's talk, let's call them and talk to them. Well, well, Mr. Davis, they don't live inside the state or they don't live inside the country or they don't, you know, um, it doesn't matter get these children placed with relatives as soon and as fast as possible. There are vehicles to do it. If anybody has any questions that wants to follow up on getting a child placed with relatives, or if you're a relative that wants a child in their care, uh, the child's in foster care, you should give me a call. My toll-free number is 888-888-6582. Unfortunately, I'm not able to take any more calls. We are coming, and I apologize to those people that are waiting in the queue, but we are coming to the end of our show. Uh, I want to remind everyone that we're on every Saturday live from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. taking your calls. You can also listen to the shows taped at 24-7. Talk Radio Experts. We will see you next week, next Saturday on the radio.
2: 18 plus.